hallmark of the Buddha's teaching is that it's, it begins very much what we call it, on this shore, on the kind of perspectives that anyone who could be trained can already understand, recognize and feel valuable in themselves already. So if anyone who, who can be trained would recognize the value of, of virtue, would recognize the value of generosity, recognize the value of uh, some calming, calming down a bit, calmness and steadiness, recognize the value of uh, mindfulness as just sustaining, bearing in mind, having a mind that doesn't jump and flitter from this to the other. Uh, and anyone uh, who could be trained would recognize the value of uh, goodwill. And would have access to that to some degree. And this is, we might say, on this, this very shore. And so these things can be cultivated at pretty broad level of human society and experience various secular domains or people are not particularly right now interested in anything further. But by cultivating this, the likelihood is that they would find themselves inclining further, inclining further, because they they got a little bit, you know, developed in terms of mindfulness, in terms of calming, in terms of goodwill. They oh, this is, feels good. And they would see well, this area is also something that one should bear in mind and things would open up. And this quality of the furthering nature of the Dhamma is one of its features. It's likened to uh, the shore of a, a sea where the, it's not a sudden drop off but a gradual sloping. As you stand on it, it gradually slopes and inclines and it goes to vast depths. And the depths of this are called the deathless, unconditioned, nibbana, liberation, or complete liberation, release. Various uh, terms are used. Nibbana, the unbinding, the unconditioned, the deathless, something is removed. This is a hallmark of the Dhamma. It's removed because the mind is replenished, fulfilled, cleared, amplified. Not because the mind is removed. <laughs> not because through aversion, not through amputation, not through surgery, not through blinkering, but through clearing uh, obscurations, ignorance, not seeing, not knowing, not realizing, not being in touch. Through so the removal of these, there's the removal of um, sorrow, pain, lamentation, grief and despair, removal of dukkha, removal of craving and clinging, removal of ignorance, removal of death, binding, ongoing and conditionality, the release from those. So, there's been reflecting a lot on these upper mana states, the Brahma-vihara, and they're called Brahma-vihara because they're the abiding place of the sublime heart, Brahma-loka. Uh, the Buddha said one time in a previous life when he'd cultivated metta continually, he was reborn in the Brahma-loka for, I don't know, seven eons or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, I'm using Apamana because uh, even the Brahmavihara is not the best place to stay. <laughs> Apamana measureless, and uh, in this sense, um, the four measureless states are said to be doors to the deathless. Uh, one time the elder Ananda is being asked to talk about 
the way to the deathless, and he said, there's not one, there's 11 doors. And these are the four, uh, what we call Apamana, Brahma Vihara states. And in the four, uh, Rupa Jhana, or Jhanas, and three of the four immaterial states that can be accessed from fourth Jhana. And the fourth is too refined. So the, the um, criteria for opening that, that door is that these conditioned states act as a basis for insight. And insight is what opens the door to the deathless. And these get you to the door. And the, these opens the door. Insight. And the sense is that the fourth immaterial state, the realm of neither perception or non-perception is just too refined to be able to get any insight on it because you just can't, there's nothing to measure. But these other states are measurable to the degree in which they're, they're recognisable. <coughs> they're measureless in boundary but they're certainly denotable as, as having features, characteristics that can be then be reviewed insightfully and seen. This is conditioned, this has arisen, this has been brought together. This is not self, this is impermanent. There is a release from that. Mm-hmm. So these four Brahma Vihara, these measureless upper mana states, and the four jhanas should be enough to be getting on with. You don't need to do them all. Trying to go through 11 doors at the same time could be a little bit schizoid. But so, yeah, so it's just these cultivations. How is this? How does this proceed? So I'd also like to bring in the fourth of these states, the upeka, something like evenness of heart translated as equanimity but uh, yeah there you know evenness of heart heart is even not flustered not stressed not biased not subject to it whereas uh, heart can be uh, strongly biased towards avoiding blame and acquiring praise or not having either of them, <laughs> not having any praise or blame, just be left alone. That's still a bias. Uh, and then the, the, uh, the upekar is unbiased. The praise, neutrality, blame, that's all part of the mix. Mm. Can you meet this? Mm. Uh, without, with the unwavering heart. And for most people, frankly, the answer would probably be, well, no, don't like blame. Like a bit of praise, but not too much, make me feel embarrassed. Um, <laughs> you know, things of this nature. So this means that this, this, these uh, qualities have to be strengthened, um, fulfilled, enriched, made abundant. Why? Because if the heart is even, then we become much more uh, capable of meeting the range of experience, not shrinking from any aspect of it, not recoiling from aspects of it, not feverish for aspects of it. We become much more open and even about the nature of experience, which will always contain these tones, the negative tone, the positive tone, the neutral tones. Success, failure, gain and loss, happiness, unhappiness, praise, blame, sickness, health, so on. You know, all these dualities. This is the nature of the conditioned realm. So can we meet that? Or can we recognize that's on the agenda if one wishes to cultivate and actually will lead to a very profound transformation of citta, a profound transformation that will make one experience, one's experience 
strong, resolute, untrammeled, unbowed, uh, not cowed, not craving, free in this in this respect. Conditions. And so on the condition level, meeting the world of duality and diversities, differentiation, and uh, the strategies of the Buddha Dharma are first of all the ethical sense in which whatever, small or great, uh, attractive, unattractive, we uh, avoid harming it. It's a little bug or human being, rich or poor, and so forth. We avoid abusiveness towards that. So this sense of the primal sympathy, the key note to opening Dhamma. To really, even entering the place of heart, to actually approach life from the heart, means you have to touch this sense of primal sympathy because this is what we're in. We're in an animate experience of an animate universe which feels and responds and rushes and runs and trembles and attacks. We're in this experience. And so there has to be this animate sense of primal sympathy, a primal sensitivity. And in Buddha Dharma, we're actually, that's our baseline, that's the entry point. There is birth, there is that which is born, mm-hmm. subject to this, and it's not just me. And so, you know, to just always coming back to that rather than to the abstract world of ideologies, even good ideologies, lose that primal sympathy. Even ideologies based upon primal sympathy and love lose it, as you can see, God's you know, religions that preach love are quite capable of, of, of murdering and slaughtering the unbelievers. So even ideologies are one way in which we abstract from the animate condition. Uh, technology, another way we abstract. Mm. World in general is run through abstraction. Systems, structures, politics, nations. What are these things? What are these these experiences, they're abstractions. Mm. You know, there are no Americans, they're just people living on this piece of earth in one, one level, and yet one is bound to this, and, and whatever that causes. And we can see these abstractions themselves, these abstract qualities are quite capable, and in fact um, do get uh, manipulated to the power domination. One religion tries to fight another one, get more believers, get rid of the unbelievers. One nation tries to conquer another one. Yeah. And you see the, 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 the uh, consuming quality of this because you think, oh, that's pretty bad. But then actually within one religion, one sect fights another sect. One group shuns another group of dis- who are not so pure. And in nations, you see, that it seems that witnessing this horrific spectacle of the government waging war on its own people. Yeah. Uh, using law and police and laws to, to exclude, alienate, uh, Suppress, take away, imprison, uh, reject, starve, undernourish its own people. Mm. And this is the, and we're all at the same time preaching ideologies of uh, freedom, justice, democracy, happiness, and this is great. And wow, this is how mad it gets. Where's the sympathy?
So above all, this is something that we must uh, consciously and firmly, it's in our own minds and hearts, repudiate the lure of any kind of abstractions, ideologies, and some of them are things called justice. Um, you see the amount of uh, revenge that gets caught is, is authorized in the name of justice. It's just revenge. It's just hatred. Lock them up. Take away their rights. Kill them. They deserve it. Justice. Law and order. Yeah. Yeah. And so forth. So we see that these abstractions are able to mask some pretty unwholesome intents. And this is very much a feature of our our lives, our experience. A lot of fear in a society, a lot of fear in people, a lot of fear uh, of other people, of fear of the authority, which will not be benevolent by default. It might be, but it, by default it won't be. That's, that's the sense. You must tremble before authority. So and then we're, we're in this, and there's also another, and this deanimating is the influence of technology, which deanimates our life. We, we see virtual people, um, Facebook, and often through, some of these media are often doctors, so you don't even see real people, biased, twisted, mass media. And again, you know, the amount of delusion, deceit, malice, you know, greed to get stimulated through this medium. So these are very harmful influences. Clearly, there must be something good about them. <laughs> they do help, they do generate a collective uh, sense. But, you know, you see this thing is easily taken over by uh, harmful forces. And so it's generating a sense of primal sympathy in order to be Dhamma practitioners at all. Not to have ideologies about Buddhism or schools of Buddhism or jhanas or insight or this is the only way, you know. It's just, no, this is, this is not the way. <laughs> and don't do it to oneself. You know, we get cowed by systems and structures and techniques and ideas. Don't do it to yourself. Just start where you are, having fundamental sympathy and start to see where where does your intention feel light up and feel gives you a little bit of confidence. Actually begins to, you know, fill you up a bit, give you some ground, give you some Oh um, yeah, I can do this, rather than oh, I can't possibly do that. And so this sense of faith arising, and faith, we get sense. Mm. We're cultivating these uh, four measureless states, the Brahma Vihara. In in this respect, we begin to sense, you know, well, the potential for goodwill is exciting, is interesting. Is, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite. That sounds right. I feel I'm lit. I'm. I have some faith in that potential. Any human beings to cultivate that, and uh, to others, I feel this is right and good. Yeah. And therefore, one picks it up. One starts to have faith in that, and they feel confident in it, and make an effort, an energy extended, inclination of energy in that course. So we get the faith, the energy, and then you begin to firm it up. This is something I really want to sustain as a frame of reference to myself, my body, my people, my friends, my animals, or even people I don't like so much, at least to not, to, to, to check the aversion or the fear or the, or the grudging, or the begrudging, you know, 
And so this firming it mindfulness, frame it up as a frame of reference. And how am I doing today? Looks like it wavered there. Okay, what went wrong? Bring back the sympathy. Check out what defilement took over. Fear, jealousy, uh, sorrow, uh, harshness, indifference, abstraction, essentially. It's just a name. It's just my boss or the gardener or the grocer or the policeman you know it's just a name and a number not a human sentient sensitive that's how it took over I lost touch with that ah right now aware of that return it how would it be like to be them imagine if I was that just play these things through and you begin to sense all beings are heirs to their karma Mm. You know, she's like that through causes and conditions. I'm like this through causes and conditions. One experiences some sympathy and a lessening of the finger pointing. So this thing becomes a base where one can firm it up and be collected in it. So it gets a sense of samadhi, uh, strengthening, firming up unifying the mind around that and with wisdom one begins to see and discern its presence, its absence its results this lessens stress lessens the stress Mm. lessens the suffering if I'd hung on to that grudge and felt she needs to be punished and blamed and lock her up or something if I held on to that with revenge then my mind would have been stressed biased twisted it would only only be relieved by causing her stress by seeing her in prison locked away humiliated I'm favouring suffering no. this quality of the Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Pekka, this eliminates that. Everyone begins to realize the value of, of these qualities and meditates on them, reflects upon them, thinks them through. You don't have to be that deeply into samadhi to cultivate these. You can just consider it, think it through, and begin to recognize, yeah. And then also you begin to see these pieces that, although I know I shouldn't have a grudge, I do. Mm. <laughs> although I should forgive her, actually I, I'm trying to, I, I, I don't really. <laughs> and then we know, ah, this is because this, you have to go deeper for this. And so this always encourages us then to go more deeply and fully into, into those practices. See, where is the pain in the heart? How does that occur? Hmm? You want to forgive someone that you haven't been able to forgive? My recommendation is you just go to the painful feeling in the heart and have a lot of kindness and compassion and equanimity it means it's like this and it's just like it's just one it couldn't be any other way it's like this beings you know there's sensitivity beings are confused these things happen it's like this and then resonating these right at that place where the heart an equanimity towards the heart itself. The heart is a sensitive system. It does get hurt. If it wasn't hurt by him, it would be hurt by her or them, by the absence of something or the presence of something. Or the, you know, it's going to get hurt by something. That's, that's the nature of the conditioned heart. So equanimity evenness of mind we, we drop the story of who and why and when and what they should or shouldn't and what I didn't need or 
could have been just feel feeling is feeling feeling is doing what feeling does why push against it why not just let it be there and then, then you the somatic basis you've got a strong strengthening capacity to just bear presence in the face of unpleasant feeling and let it radiate through the body the body will be able to discharge it whereas the conditioned heart will tend to reverberate around it and get flustered and agitated by it so and realizing you know one must learn to meet painful feeling because it will be there if I only favor pleasant feeling my life is going to be pretty busy scurrying around ducking and and burrowing into this that and the other to avoid the embarrassment the anxiety the awkwardness the boredom uh, the, the sense of apprehension It'll be pretty busy frantic life this is stressful instead in the long run let me gradually incline towards being able to be, to be present with unpleasant mental psychological feeling and you won't have to wait long if, if you if you <laughs> you make that consideration you will not have to wait very long at all <laughs> because there'll be the feeling of why oh, stupid idiot why didn't I do this earlier <laughs> the perceptions arise don't they the perception of myself arises as the one of the first perceptions that arises in, in the chitta as it, as it settles into something, it seeks orientation. Right? And whenever the chitta sort of is even lightly unhooked from, from flowing on to this, lightly unhooked, it seeks orientation. It normally finds orientation in the stream of events. I'm doing this and doing that and this and that and this and that and this and that. And you stop that. Where does it find orientation? Where does it find a sense of of ground? Me. <laughs> right? And you, me is the person. Right? That's the experience of it. Me as the person. Then, well, look what's in the bag. The old person bag. Person bag is basically unsatisfactory. Hmm? It's got memories. It's got opinions. It's got an image of itself. It's... It's this, that and the other. It's an unsatisfactory condition, the person. Only, you know, we only manage to anaesthetize it by running enough things through it. The person itself is a rather un- unsatisfactory, not necessarily miserable, but just restless, incomplete, rocky, unfulfilled experience. It doesn't do more than that. It's not you particularly, it's everybody. That's the nature of the person pack. It's called the Sakaya. So when you settle in that for just a few microseconds, well, this isn't very good. <laughs> and then, here he comes, you know, the memories, the, <laughs> the images, if only I should, and what would I would be, and how can I ever, and then, da, 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 and then the shimmerings of uncertainty, just sometimes not even verbal, just the, well, where am I? What am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? Am I okay? Is it, am I really right? Is it, is it the murmurings. And how long is this going to go on for? Anxiety starts to tremble. That's the nature of the person pack. Like a, you know, it's like a three-wheeled cart. It just doesn't, it bumps. <laughs> so, you know, then our meditation really is about on many levels, meeting these waves of intentions and perceptions and mental effects as they arise. And there are certain, you know, strategies around that, aren't there? Calming. Steadying. Soothing. Bring it into the body. Slow it down calm the mental voices so the, the infliction of, of perceptions of memories of messages mm. of signs 
of images of oneself and others and the narratives, so if that could reduce, that would be more comfortable. If the, what I should be and ought to be and never will be, and, and, should, and if that could reduce, there would be less suffering. Reducing perceptual input. Recognize you as you cultivate with that, you begin to realize, well, so much of this self and, and suffering and stress is caused, conditioned by perception. Perceptions, the future, past, self and other, and all the complications of that. What will be, what should I be, what was I, who was I, why was I, when will he, what if they do, uh, all that. This, these, and where are they? They are perceptions. This is the perceptual realm. And the person, person pack, constantly seeks and even stimulates that, that realm, because that's, that's the realm it travels in. That's the realm that gave it birth. The person pack is a, is a structure that's, that's conditioned by immersion in the sensual and social and familial workaday world. You, the personality develops through immersion of the chitta in that atmosphere of future, past, self and other. Right? Should be, ought to be, could be, would be, uh, will be, must be, better get there, wasn't. He's better. She's got the right thing. Follow her. Do what they do. That's that's the person pack, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So it's always so when we. Unho- this is what we come into, and really, you know, with some wisdom, just looking directly in yourself. Where is this? Can you say it doesn't exist? No, but where where is it? It's, you say it's in my mind. It's really incredibly powerful mirages. Aren't they? Can, does a mirage not exist? No, it's caused and conditioned, isn't it? And it's, these are much more potent and powerful than that. They carry, because they carry all the intensity of chitta. Fragmented into this personal realm. Fragmented, broken up into future, past, me and you. All the potential feeling, quality, tonalities, mood tones, atmospheres of jitter are sent out, broken up into this mosaic. Right? So it carries all the potencies of the, of the heart with tremendous potencies of surges of fear and anxiety and craving and love and affection and grief and loss all saturates into this incredible mosaic, dynamic mosaic in which the person dwells trying to find her or his way to the end of suffering. It's not going to happen. In meditation we're often very much meeting that perceptual realm and the calming sense is just, the wisdom sense is, see if you, does this make sense to you? This is an idea. This has got some, seems actually, that sounds quite feasible. <laughs> And then calming it, and then beginning to generate more happy perceptions, skillful perceptions, you know, gladdening the heart with recollections of gratitude, of kindness, of skillful things that have occurred, that you've seen occurring, that touch your heart, or that you have done participated in and this is definitely a cultivation of skillful perception and perceptions of light perceptions of space 
perceptions of Buddha, Dhamma Sangha, perceptions of death, help to sober the intoxicated citta. Perception of space, the, the trammeled, compressed citta really likes space. Perception of space. Perception of unattractive, uh, the lust bound citta. So they use perceptions in this way. And, and so clearly, you know, the whole focus on these. Brahma Vihara Pamana states it's to do with perceptions that stimulate intention and intention that begins to reconfigure perceptions. These two working together, perception and intention. That is, having perceived, having remembered, uh, being treated well, being treated with respect, being treated kindly. My heart is touched by that. I feel that trembling of, of, of gratitude and warmth. And I also feel I would like to sense what that is. And my chitta picks that, that quality up and starts to resonate with it and bring it forth. Or, alternatively, I see a being who I do feel already that perception of, of, of warmth and, and good-heartedness towards. I open up to... Um, bringing that into my chitta, I begin to dispel this sense of gloom and hopelessness in my mind. I don't need that. Perceptions associated with compassion. Either I've seen, experienced beings who saw me in my misery or plight or sickness and inclined towards that to offer support, listening to, pleased to be with, eager to be with. I was deeply touched by that. And that sense of... Chitta remembers that. It can do that. It can, that nerve can, can light up. And then we also feel pretty much more empowered to bring that quality forth. It's more or less reflexive. You hardly have to think about it. If you see the sign of the suffering in another being through the animated, animate condition not just as a number or a name or whether they're good or deserve it <laughs> or their nationality or whatever, whether you like or the way they look. If you touch the animate sympathy nerve and you see their plight, I, I don't see how your heart couldn't open with compassion. It just seems to be not the way the chitta works. Unless you severely distorted or maddened where you perhaps wouldn't recognize, wouldn't have that primary sympathy in the first place. The gladness, the sense of recognizing uh, the, um, the good and feeling appreciative of that good fortune. It's good fortune to have met this being, these people. That's definitely didn't have to happen, it did. Wow. This sense of mudita helps to alleviate taking things for granted. We recognize a day or a moment of when the good has come my way, when it's my ability to breathe, I have good health, or to be sheltered. You know, just a very mundane level. This is good. It could have been, I didn't have to have this. This is good fortune. Mm-hmm. the joy that comes from that the, the alleviation of misery I remember a monk who had this bladder cancer and he had to have his bladder taken out and a bit of his intestines cut out and reformed to form a new this bit of intestine had to learn how to be a bladder because they had to form the new bladder out of a piece of his own tissues to, for the body to accept it so they cut a bit of his intestines and made it into a bladder. Of course, the intestine didn't know at first how to be a bladder. <laughs> it couldn't read and it didn't understand. So it didn't work very well <laughs> for quite a while. And he said, then after a while, he said, oh, 
Oh, just the ability. Oh, the ability to urinate without pain. I was just so happy. <laughs> you know, to just be able to retra- retain urine and then, then let it pass without misery. They said, this, this was joy. <laughs> and something we kind of take for granted. So you see this, this any, any sense of diminution of stress or pain in yourself or in another, you realize, wow, she doesn't have that. That's, that's, that must be good, how lovely. And what these, these mudita, particularly very powerful uh, movement, as with compassion, it's starting to cross the self-other line, isn't it? With compassion we move, metta we basically open the heart with a sense that citta comes forth to touch another with its own qualities of openness and goodwill. With Karuna, we're beginning to see, well, he's in a bad state. There's a difference between us. Let me overcome that difference by sharing in his bad state, by meeting it. Yeah? See, you're coming over the self-other boundary. I think compassion is not patronizing. It's not like, well, you're such a pathetic person, I'll help you out. But no, oh, wow, that's a pain. Oh yeah, I feel what that, I get some sense of what that would be like. I want to get closer to that, to share my presence. Mudita, doing that with the glad, the, the fortunate. Mm. You know, the, the, it overcomes, it doesn't, no longer so important whose welfare it is, because just to see the sign of welfare, of someone getting an uplift and relief is itself gladdening. Somebody got out of jail. Somebody got cured. Oh, heart lift. It's not that difficult, is it, if you tune in and, and develop those perceptions. And equanimity is much more broader than that. It's, uh, in fact, it's most sometimes most mysterious of these. It sounds indifferent. It's not indifferent. It's an emotional sensitivity to let me just stay with this no matter what. Up or down, I'll receive it. Whether she's up or down, confused, lost, bouncy, joyful, playful or whatever, I'll stay with it with sympathy. And let the weather change. I'm I'm not giving up. That sense of a deep trust and empathy, person, you know. Evenness of mind. I'm not just going to want her to be happy all the time, put that pressure on her. (laughs) 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 Or get results, you know. Mm. It doesn't matter if she doesn't progress at all, That's, that's... because yeah, otherwise you get pressure, there's stress. You know, trying to pressurize people into getting enlightened or doing good or developing. No, that's pressure. Stop the pressure. It doesn't work like that. And none of us just speed straight ahead on a straight line. We all zigzag and park and stall and go backwards and forwards and up and down. <laughs> and, you know, dawdle and get stuck. Uh, only getting frustrated isn't going to help it at all. It just okay. Well, just bear with that, with that, with sense of evenness of mind to receive that. And this is in itself is helpful because it just takes that inferred pressure. And the, the person's probably putting themselves under pressure to try to progress and get me not be so stuck and not be so stupid and reactive. So no, no, that's not the way to do it. You're not embracing yourself with a, with a mind of equanimity. You're putting pressure on yourself. That's not the way to do it. Hmm. One of this very vast and rich quality that allows process in oneself and in others. These are fabulous uh, cultivations And the root of it, you, and then towards oneself, can we practice 
just imagining, uh, bearing in mind, and maybe it's true, other people open their hearts to me, are actually interested in my welfare, would be happy if I was happy, would feel compassion rather than blame if I made a mistake, would be eager to help me get over it rather than beat me down and take revenge, shut me out and exclude me. Other people would welcome my presence rather than thinking, oh, it's her again. <laughs> oh, well, be polite, put up with it. <laughs> you know? Other people would not be seeing me as a, as a burden on their mind. Could you just consider that? Uh, because this is the nature of chitta. It does rejoice in the absence of stress and stressing and differentiation and separateness. It does rejoice in that. It seeks harmony. Could you help me in that by, you know, rather than be seen as an obstacle to that? Cultivate it like this. Other people would trust me to be with where I am. Give me that. Give me that space. These are really deep, uh, you know, transforming one's psychology uh, through these skillful perceptions. Much can be done with this. I think much should be done in this respect. To begin then with insight, you begin to sense, let's have really look at the structure of this thing. There's a perception and a feeling and an intention and a person. This seems to be the, the, the things that keep getting in this. There's a perception, an imagination, a memory, a fashioning, an interpretation that occurs, right? There's a certain feeling with that, pleasant, disagreeable. And there's a, a kind of response to that, which is we call, this is chitana, volition, which means to defend, to grab, to run, to, to take in. Some kind of volitional quality gets stimulated by that perception. Right? To, to defend oneself, to blame another, to feel bad, you know, inflicted upon oneself. You know, somebody don't be really happy, I'll, I'll punish myself for that. She's not very happy. I get the perception she's not happy. I'll blame, I'll blame myself for that. And this is not a fashion, not constructive thing, just reflex. The arrow goes this way. Or it goes that way. It either goes to oneself or to another. And very often uh, it goes into oneself. It's my fault. I should be something other than this. I should be able to manage this. I should be able to make her happy. I should make, have to make everybody happy. Yes, everybody. <laughs> when, you sound, you, when you hear this, you think, you must be out of your tiny little mind. And yet, this is not a rational process. <laughs> I don't want anybody to feel disappointed. Not have their needs met. Well, you're going to be pretty busy doing that, and then the likelihood is... You're always taking over and telling me what to do. <laughs> You're so bossy. <laughs> I want to be miserable. It's my right. <laughs> Leave me be, you know. Oh, whatever. But uh, this sense in which the, this, this volitional tendency just does this stuff. And you get beings who feel their volitional tendencies to feel responsible for Everything that arises in the perceptual field that's marked as another person is called another person. They feel responsible for it to make it okay. They feel that perception when it arises. This per- I, I do this. I feel responsible to make it okay. Why? <laughs> where, where, where's that knee-jerk come from? Why do I think I can? Why do I think I should? The sympathy there 
But could that sympathy just say, she doesn't look so happy. Mm, I receive that. I do feel sympathy. Is something I could do or not do or open to or not open to? This is where equanimity becomes very important. Looks like it's not an opening now. It's okay. I'll bear her in mind. Or this is beyond my range. I'd love to help, but I can't. That's not, you know, I'm not God. It's equanimity. But it doesn't mean, oh well, casual shrug. And then one, one looks for the opening, and if that's not there, there's a certain humility to it. This is as far as it goes on the condition level. When these signs uh, we work with, perception and intention, the volitional twitch that occurs when perception lands, if you begin to pause around those, just micro-pause between the perception landing and the intention, and specifically the, the general creating a person out of that, either this person here or that person there, the obliged person or the needy person or the stupid person or the wise person, just check that and get some spaces in those. This is what insight does. It starts to separate the fibers of experience into its constituent factors. Now there is actually, there can be a tad of space between the perception and the intention. It could be a micro space. Is that what unbinding means? You unhook, uncondition. Is it that? Or you uncondition what was immediately conditioned? Is, un- is the unconditioned that, <laughs> but cultivated? Yeah. If there's just these five aggregates, where else is it? apart from within this, within the linkage of this, where else could it be? If we just, all our experience is just the five aggregates, where in this does the uncondition? Through unconditioning, these primary hooks, links, and there's a possibility between perception and intention. And when we deliberately cultivate an intention that resists the reactive intention, reactive reflex, blame, defense, blame, counter blame, blame, run, blame, listen, pause, sympathize, assess what's appropriate. We uncondition a reflex, don't we? We may respond in accordance with where there's a possibility to respond, unconditioning. Now we come into this, we frame that up with mindfulness, and then in our, we'll call, loosely speaking, our inner world, yeah, as we come into our self-pack, our person pack, when we meditate, beginning to cultivate this way with the perceptions that arise. Mm-hmm. It starts with the verbalized ones, the memories, the voices, and that quietens down. You come to the emotional shifts of don't feel so good, don't feel so well, don't feel bright, don't feel this. Uh, Don't follow that. Hmm? So the mind begins to unify because the intention of detachment, the intention of widening and embracing becomes almost like a, a muscle that keeps opening and strengthening the mind, the jitta, against the push of perceptions and feelings. It keeps opening and winding into the, the samadhi using the somatic field because that's, that's the advantage of it, to widen and open and steady your jitta within that field against the flow, the fluctuations of perceptions and feelings. 
And particularly helpful when, you, when it's non-verbal, you get less narrative. It's just a sense of disorder, contraction, not complete, unbalancing, widening and softening and strengthening until the nature of jitta is it picks up the dominant faculty is what it picks up and resonates with. If your dominant faculty is associated with calm and steadiness and kindness, that's the thing it picks up to the extent to which other features are not getting in. That's the samadhi strategy. You basically span so this other stuff doesn't get the the airtime. It doesn't get... So you've begun to kind of clarify and unify into something more uh, broader span. And we're taking this as we see in the development of jhana, you're coming down through sort of pleasant to equanimous is the fourth jhana, abiding state equanimity, evenness. It's a very spread, very open, very wide field. Body has disappeared as a physical entity, which has then in a very wide, expansive, refined embodiment, evenly spread. Now, this may not be something that we have access to right now. But you can get a sense of what's being affected there, that when you understand that the way that systems, the system works, if you've got to put the person pack to one side, yeah, and interpret the feelings, the perceptions, the moods, the emotions as they are. You, you check the reactive ones as best you can, micro pauses, you counteract with goodwill or soothing or whatever, you know. I mean counteract not in a kind of aggressive way, but just in a way that doesn't partake of the afflictive sign in oneself or in others, or however you experience it, and you steady and unify around that, that that intent. And this is as far as it goes in samadhi. So the Buddha said, you know, you can cultivate this way out to these incredible domains from this level of equanimity to these very spacious open domains. He said, this is as far as it goes. But, <laughs> and he said, one, with insight you recognize all this texture, subtle refined texture. This has been brought into being, hasn't it? It's been cultivated. Whatever is cultivated is conditioned, not self. Not an ultimate state. Seeing this, there's the release of clinging to it. And this is the unconditioned. So the fibers, the textures of the mind are mollified, opened, made bright, made malleable, made extremely pertinent for operating in the conditioned realm, either the social realm or just the meditative realm. So that upon that, one feels the sense of the, the jitta now is very fine and steady and it, it's really begun to understand how to operate these things and it realises operating this stuff is still a condition. Why don't I just stop doing that? And then the descent, it's called a descent into the unconditioned. Descent, it's like something drops into unconditioned. So this, these qualities cultivated can, can begin to recognize there is a door. It, I suggest it's the door it stands between perception and volition. I would suggest that that handle can be turned and, and pressed and leaned upon. I would suggest that door can open. I would suggest there can be a release through that door. Mm. equanimity is as far as you can take it the least trammeled the most steady 
the least stress that you can accomplish on the emotional plane. It covers the broadest series of events, the broadest level of circumstances, of death, bereavement, ecstasy, delight, the whole lot. And it just, mm-hmm. <laughs> room for that too. That's, it doesn't get any further than that. And then there's the recognition, this is just the mind. There's a release from that. So I'll offer this for your reflections.